Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. If you plan on leaving your job or if you have the intention of adding something else to whatever your situation is right now, you're going to have to go through a season where it's just grind and hustle. That's just the way it is. Like my philosophy on the whole thing is just you're going to have a grind season and you're going to have to go through that. Once you get through the grind season, then you can go through the stuff like, hey, this is how I'm going to balance out and create boundaries and create territories around how I'm going to live my life. That did not happen until probably after COVID. <laughs> okay. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. 
So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Shirley, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Folks who are perfect connection, but you are actually the amazing woman behind both my food blog and my personal finance brand. So shout out to you for being amazing at what you do as a web designer. And we're going to talk about how you pivoted your career into now full-time entrepreneurship. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hola, miente. That's like the extent of my Spanish. So hello, everyone. I love it. I appreciate A plus for effort. (laughs) Okay, so let's start off with a little bit of an introduction. Tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Shirley Ansley. I am a freelance website designer. I started off my whole career, I guess, was starting off as an engineer. I was introduced when I was really young and I didn't know that you can use engineering to do fun things. So my aspiration at the time was to become Walt Disney Imagineer, which is using themed engineering design, basically. And that was just my focus for a very, very long time until I got my dream job at Disney and it was only a contract position. And I found myself back home trying to figure out exactly what to do. Like, do I go back or do I keep finding another job? And I tried the whole working for another company thing. And that's when I kind of lost my energy and my zeal and stuff like that for the whole engineering field. We all know what it's like working in a corporate America job. When you're a woman of color, it's just challenging. It presents its different challenges. And I kind of felt that very early on. And that's when I made a career pivot into doing graphic design slash website design. So since then, I've been what I did was basically work my full time job. And then also as a side hustle, have a graphic design slash web design business until 2019, when I decided to go in all in, start my own business. And I've been working with a number of award-winning podcasts, small businesses, nonprofit organizations, helping them to kind of really make their brand stand out online. Incredible. And I want to dive into how you were able to make that transition because I think there's a lot of folks who feel the same way. They know that there's something meant for them that is not the corporate rat race and they're ready to take things to the next level, but just the journey to get there is intimidating. So let's go back to 2015 when you started your journey as a business owner. So you were not doing what you do now in corporate. Is that right? I was a learning experience slash visual designer. So what that entails is basically creating products and presentations for sales pitches, adult learners. In this case, we were creating material for people who were learning about sales. That wasn't really what I was doing today. It was mostly creating presentations and things of that nature for very boring looking corporate stuff. <laughs> I don't like want to insult them, but basically it was very bland looking corporate material so that we can be able to help people learn the stuff that they need to learn. Okay. And so you basically DIY or taught yourself how to code a website. Is that accurate? Yeah, that is accurate. So I want to say there's two parts to this. When I was really, really young, my mother enrolled me into all types of interesting camps. And one of them 
was a web design program. So at the time, I didn't know it was web design. It was just, here's how to use this interesting thing called HTML. And I never thought it would be applicable in my life ever, ever again. So that was when I was 16. Fast forward to when I'm now in my 20s, I decide I want to start to learn graphic design, website design, and things of that nature. And things had changed between the span of when I was 16 to when I was 20. So I had to go ahead and from the ground up, teach myself all types of new things. So what was interesting is that my sister was studying graphic design, but she wasn't giving me all the tea. I had to be like, what is that that you're using? Like, what is that program? I had like a bootleg version of Adobe. Of course, I have the real stuff now, but I had a bootleg version of Adobe. I had to Google and YouTube every single thing that I wanted to do. And they were like just random projects because I didn't have clients, right? So I would just give myself these projects and be like, okay, today I'm going to learn how to design a mock-up pill bottle or something like that. And so I would go into Photoshop and make a lot of mess because it would look trashy. (laughs) And then eventually I just kept practicing and practicing and practicing and got to a point where I could at least pitch myself to somebody. So I would post all these fake projects on my Facebook page because that's usually where all the motion was happening back then. And people would like, oh, can you create something for me? And I was like, sure, but I was doing it for free or like dirt cheap, like 30 bucks or 20 bucks or something like that. Right. And I wasn't like making any traction with just doing all of this practice stuff. So I was like, if I'm going to take this thing seriously, I'm going to have to get like an actual paying client. So fast forward to, let's say it's around 2016 ish. I had my first son which was Harper. And I really came to a decision that like, I want to turn this whole graphic design side hustle into an actual business. And my first client was given to me by a friend of mine who was like, Hey, I have a friend who is building a website. Would you be able to do it for her? And I was like, sure. And I charged, I think it was like $675 just to do that first website. But I was so proud of myself because that was like the most money that anybody had ever paid me to do a website. And she allowed me to do all of this experiments with a website. And I was just like mind blown from that moment. Now, it's funny because I went to like a workshop around the same time because I wanted to know, well, hey, I did this one thing. Like, how can I make it better? And the guy who was in charge of the workshop was like, well, how much do you charge for your services? I was like, 675. And he's like, literally about to spit his water. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I paid 10 times that much for my website. I was like, I can make that much money for a website. That's crazy. And so with that mindset, mind you, I was scared of those, like trying to charge those prices because I just did this one website and it was on Wix and like anybody can use Wix. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so how do I go from doing this like very amateur looking website to actually doing a professional looking website? And so what I just did was I kind of used the same principles that I did in the beginning where I was just teaching myself graphic design is that I would give myself test projects, except this time I was getting paid. So the next project that I got was from a referral from that person that I did their website. And I just charged like, I think it was like 900 something dollars. And then the next project, I just doubled it. (laughs) And then the next project, I just kept doubling it. So every time I did a project, I just kept doubling the price until I was at a point where I was really, really comfortable charging at least $3,000 for a project. 
And that was the point where I actually felt comfortable enough to leave my job because I knew I was getting clients who would basically replace the paycheck that I was getting paid at the time to go full time into website design. That's incredible. Your journey is so inspiring. And I want folks to hear what you said. It's just like, if you don't know something, you have to be the one to decide. I'm going to learn this thing and I'm going to trial and error and I'm going to give myself permission to fail and do scary things because that's what's going to get me to where I want to be. And so this whole origin story of yours is like you wanted to build your own website for your business and you realized oh, this is kind of hard. I got to learn this. And then you realize not only have you learned it for yourself, but now this is a service that you can now charge a premium for. So incredible. Okay. So you're running your business on the side for two years or so before you make the leap. Yeah. I wanted to leave my job just because I was like feeling uncomfortable, but I just wasn't at a point where I was like, I'm making enough money that I can leave. So I was working for a while between my job and actually doing the side hustle before I left. So I think it was like a good two or something years. I I wouldn't be surprised if it's more because it was right around the time after I had found out that I was pregnant where I really decided, you know, I need to leave my job and I got to take the leap. So I was there for about almost two years and some change before I actually took the leap. Yeah. And so I think that's also an an important part of your story because I think entrepreneurship is very glamorized on social media and it's like, yeah, it'll happen in six months. And no, the grind is real. I'm sure during those days you were not sleeping. You were working your ass off both at home and on your business. You're also a mom. So how were you managing all of this and how did you stay motivated during those, I imagine, hard times? Yeah. So a lot of things were happening just mentally around the time when I was working part-time on my side hustle and part-time at work. Right. So first things first is like when I initially started the design job, I had to balance between being a wife and a side hustler. Right. And that had quickly diminished (laughs) because I decided I made a mental note to myself, like, I really want to take this seriously in order for me to take this seriously. I have to do my nine to five, do my one and a half hour commute, come home and then work until about midnight and then sleep and go ahead and do it all again. And my husband was okay with that. And then we introduced a kid. So now it was do the nine to five, take Friday off to take care of my son. But I was still working until midnight every single night. And around those times, I wasn't doing everything, anything on weekends, right? Like I was not having fun going out on parties or anything like that on weekends. It was like me focused on my business. So balance time between husband, balance time between kid number one, and then the two side hustles. Mentally, I was always exhausted. Everything got to me because like I just was not there. I was always burnt out. Like everything would make me emotionally upset, mad, frustrated, sad, and stuff like that. But that was grind season for me. And I knew that this period where I'm going through all of this frustration and all of this challenges and stuff like that, it was not going to last forever. But I knew mentally that like, literally, this is not meant to last forever. So people have to know that like, if you plan on leaving your job, or if you have the intention of adding something else to whatever your situation is right now, you're going to have to go through a season where it's just grind and hustle. That's just the way it is. Like my philosophy on the whole thing is just you're going to have a grind season and you're going to have to go through that. 
once you get through the grind season, then you can go through the stuff like, hey, this is how I'm going to balance out and create boundaries and create territories around how I'm going to live my life. That did not happen until probably after COVID, okay? Because I had baby number two and I was still abusing my time. Like I had to be a mom during the day and I knew I had a period of time where I was a mom. And then at night, I was working until three in the morning trying to figure out how to do everything, then wake up the next morning and do it all again. And then I got to a point where like when you start making five figure months and you're like, okay, I'm at a good place where I can just like make a really good schedule. That's the point when I was like, okay, I'm not working until like three in the morning anymore. I'm working between nine to five and that's it. Or I could work between nine to two and that's it. And then I'm taking my weekends off. So once I figured out exactly what that monetary value was that was going to make me comfortable enough to change my schedule. That's when I was like, okay, I'm going to do a hard stop and I'm going to change my schedule. And then this is it. So understand that, like what your limitations are as an individual and say, Hey, this is going to be my grind season. This is when I'm going to just go all in. And then when you reach a certain figure, or if you reach a certain milestone, that's when you need to tell yourself, okay, am I good enough to just like stop this, going to stop abusing myself as far as like, you know, not eating, not sleeping and all that stuff. You reach that point in your life, then you can go ahead and start creating boundaries and creating territories for yourself. Like my clients know that if I put on my calendar, hey, I'm not going to be available between Friday to Saturday. I'm not available. Don't call me. (laughs) So I think hopefully that should help with the balance things. But I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not perfect about this. Even now, even though I'm in a comfortable place, sometimes I do go back to grind season just because I'm like, oh, I want to be in a different place because I have a different goal. And that's okay. Everybody's going to have to go through those circumstances. So you have to figure out, hey, I may have not hit the perfect balance that I wanted to in my life? Am I going to be hard on myself or am I just going to like give myself some sort of grace and be able to actually start at the bottom again and then go ahead and create a new schedule? So just give yourself some grace. You're not going to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm pretty sure you're not perfect, Janice. (laughs) Everybody needs to know that. And so like all this mental stuff about like, oh, this needs to be perfect balance. No, it's just like everything else in life. Just test it out, figure out what works and then Go back to the drawing board if it doesn't work. Absolutely. I love your advice because it's so practical and it's really grounded in like the reality of what this journey looks like from side hustling to full-time entrepreneurship. It is hard. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. And I think the biggest boundary that I realized in my own journey was that if I want to get out of grind hustle season, I need to charge a sufficient amount of money for me to be able to live the life that I want without having to put in the 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And so if there's nothing else that you take from this conversation, it's like you have to value your time way more than maybe you've been used to in a corporate setting. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. I 100% agree, especially with the charge more stuff. That was another growing thing that I had to do. A lot of people don't know that part of my journey in this whole entrepreneurial game really came about because I was trying to achieve financial freedom. And because I wanted to achieve financial freedom, one of the most important lessons that I learned outside of saving your money and putting it in the right retirement account and stuff like that is that you have to be able to create more income for yourself. And in order to create more income for yourself, you can either create multiple jobs, create multiple products, or you could just charge a lot more and then be able to get to your 
five figure month or six figure month, whatever your goal is much more faster. And that's a journey that I had to realize in the process that like, if I started charging more, then I can reach my goals much more faster. And that's how I'm able to achieve like this nice little balance of like my time. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I think another interesting part of your story, which I don't think gets talked about enough in entrepreneurship is the fact that you will pivot from the original idea that you had right? Because your original idea was graphic design, but then you decided you wanted to focus on web design, but you still are leveraging that desire to create something that's really aesthetically pleasing, but it's not the original plan, right? And so I think it's important for folks to know that that starting idea might not be the thing that gets you to where you want to be as an entrepreneur. And it's okay to kind of shed what you thought it was going to look like for what it could look like. Yeah. And even on top of that, people don't even know, like my original idea, even before I started graphic design and stuff like that, it was to start like an online shop. It was kind of like the same idea as, I don't know, like Rent the Runway. I kind of wanted to do something similar to that. But then I started building a website and I was like obsessed with the website aspect of it. And so I pivoted from that idea into graphic design. So you would never think (laughs) like that was my original business idea. And that's such a good point to say that I made so many pivots, but they're all along the same line of kind of like the same industry and the same business. So another thing that is amazing that I learned throughout my process with being in this graphic design industry is that it doesn't feel like there's niches in it, but there are. And when I was just offering general graphic design services, I was getting all types of clients and not feeling fulfilled in any of those projects. However, when I was like, okay, let me just remove part of my offerings and kind of like narrow it down to something a little bit more specific, I started to see more satisfaction in what I was doing. And I started to see my clients were actually satisfied in the product that I was giving them. And so I made a strategic decision that like every once in a while I would go through my service offerings or my products. I don't have products obviously anymore, but my service offerings and I would just trim down what was unnecessary and then keep the bulk of what was necessary. And that got me from basically doing general graphic design services to doing branding and website design to doing just website design. And I can even go more narrow within website design as well. So Whatever it is with your business, it doesn't matter if you're doing a service-based business or a product-based business. I find like the most satisfaction you'll get in your business is when you just really concentrate on one core thing that you want to do and just keep going at that particular thing. Because number one, you can charge more money. Like that's that. And then number two is like, you'll become so much of an expert in that particular area that people are like, I'm going to give all this person my money because they know exactly what they're doing. Exactly. It's really about just carving out your lane and letting folks know exactly why it is that you can help them. And being very clear on that with your product offerings and the way that you market yourself, I think are super key. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. All right, let's talk about this myth that I think exists that women or women of color specifically don't pay premiums for this type of stuff because you are not cheap and rightfully so because you are hella talented. Did you face those limiting beliefs when you were setting your price? Because I know that you wanted to target specifically women of color. Yeah, I remember thinking that myself, I'm not even going to lie. I'm just like, oh, my community, they don't have enough money and stuff like that. Let me start off low and I won't charge them so much. 
And the more I dove deeper into kind of understanding my community and the entrepreneurial community got debunked very fast. Number one, I started to see there were women out there with very successful, very thriving entrepreneurial businesses. So being exposed to that was first debunk that idea that, oh, women of color do not have money. So if you are thinking that like, oh, I want to serve a certain community and you're like, oh, but they don't have any any money, so I'm just going to be cheap. You haven't done your research <laughs> because there's always people within any type of niche, within any type of industry that are like really thriving, making multiple six or seven figures in their business. So really go ahead and expose yourself to those collections, those groups and stuff like that, so that you can understand that there are no limitations to the amount of money that a person can make. Now, I think it's funny that you say that I'm expensive because there are people who actually charge a little bit more than me, not even a little bit more than me, a lot more than me. And I think it's interesting that people are able to charge that much. Like there are some people who charge even double or triple what I'm charging my clients. So that's proof in itself that if there are other industries or competitors who can charge double, triple, or even, you know, like five times more than you, that means there are people out there who can pay for that. Okay. So you have to do your research. And another thing is like building relationships with all of these women that I have been working with and seeing that they have friends who have friends who have friends who are also thriving and becoming successful, that helped me to learn that there are women of color out there who do have the funds. Now, one thing I do want to say about funding and women of color in general is because we come into this mindset thinking that, you know, like, People have given us this limitation, all right? They just assume that we don't have money, and that's not true. But if you do have a limit on the amount of money that you do have in your bank right now, there are ways to get funding in order to pay for the expensive projects that you need to do in your life. And I don't think people leverage that as much. And I think when women of color can learn that it's not about the fact that I don't have the money, but it's like, oh, have I been doing the research in order to get the money? Then you can go ahead and fund the type of projects you are. And that was also mind opening for me because I will never forget the time I had a client. It was two women. They were running a nonprofit and they basically said, yeah, we got this whole project funded from a grant. And I was like, what? And they were like, oh yeah, like if you want to find like more or if people like want to find money for their project, they could just get a grant funding for it. And I was like, now I tell everybody that I know if you need to fund for your next big project, whether it's a website or just branding in general, like go find the funds in order to do it through grants, through payment plans and things of that nature. So it's just like a mindset thing. And I know it's like a cliche to say that because it really gets used all the time, but it's true. It's true that like people just think, oh, this is not available to me. Or people think that oh, women of color don't have the money. But that is a thought that has not been actually investigated and proven correct. So that was my experience with it. Yeah, it's absolutely a limiting belief. And I have a friend who's also a business coach who always says like, get out of your clients' pockets. Like, who are we to be assuming that everyone from our community is broke and that no one is willing to invest in themselves? Like, it says a lot about our belief in each other. And it's a toxic narrative that we need to just stop perpetuating. It's definitely toxic. I'm like really glad that I just came into this industry because had I not, then I would not have known there are so many people out there who are trying to debunk that particular narrative. 
and trying to make it a healthy environment and not a toxic environment. So listening to podcasts, reading books, watching movies, going on YouTube and seeing somebody's day in a life story, that is ways that you can actually go ahead and make more of a healthy mindset for the people that are around you. And like, just share your story, obviously. So I did not start off swimming in money, but (laughs) I can tell people how that because I've changed the way that I've operated and stuff like that, I can find success and I can afford certain things. And therefore sharing that story will hopefully encourage other people to also make nice, healthy investments into things that they want to. I love that. Okay. Let's talk about the strategy behind you leaving your corporate job, right? There's a lot of things to think about, insurance, retirement, emergency fund, et cetera. Like what did you do personally with your finances and also in discussions with your partner in order for you to feel comfortable making that leap? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Ooh, good question. So obviously I didn't just randomly hand in my two weeks notice and just was like, peace. I was thinking about it for a long time because I was not satisfied in my job. So The first part of the plan started with a savings account. So I was listening to a podcast and listening to how another person transitioned from their corporate job into their uh, side hustle full time. And what she said was that she started putting aside money. So I created like this basically F you, I'm going to leave type of account name. And I would put a really good chunk of my money towards that. So I had to also make a conscious decision to cut out like, equivalent expenses for myself, obviously not for my child, and then put it into that account so that I could reach a certain mark that would make me feel comfortable enough to leave. So as that account was growing, 
Another thing that I did was I started to charge more money on my projects. So by increasing the value per project, obviously with the experience, but by increasing the value per project, I was also increasing my profit margins. And so um, having those profit margins means that I, in case there was a huge expense that I needed to pay for, I had money in the bank in order to pay for those particular expenses. So I was growing my profit margins. I was growing my savings. And then the other thing that I did was I had a discussion with my husband. So my husband knew that I had the side hustle. I was working on it for a while. And my husband from day one has always been super, super supportive me in business and like trying to make it work and anything that he could do, he was there for it. Right. So one of the things he mentioned was that like, if I wanted to leave my job, that it was okay for him to kind of like be the person with the health insurance. So when I knew that I wanted to leave, we kind of just made that transition. So at the beginning of that year, he just put everybody under his health insurance and then covered us all for health insurance. So that's one of the things I'm fortunate that I didn't have to worry about is like any of the health insurance, because as an entrepreneur, if you know, if you're trying to pay for it yourself, or if you're the breadwinner as an entrepreneur, health insurance could be quite expensive. But since he still works a corporate job and he has that coverage, he's taken on that burden for us. We also made a few couple strategic home financial decisions, such, such as like, what would I be taking care of versus what would he be taking care of? And those were within like my budget. So once we figured out the budget between what he's going to pay for and what I was going to pay for with the money that I was earning through my business, I began to get more comfortable just leaving the job. So I reached a critical point where I was like, okay, it's about that time to leave. And Another thing that I learned from another entrepreneur out there was this really fun trick where you don't necessarily put in a two weeks notice, but ask your job if you can transition from full time to part time. So what I did was I had a conversation with my manager and because I had such a good relationship with the people that I was working with, they were really comfortable with the fact of me going from full time to part time especially since I had kind of left them in a place where they felt comfortable kind of creating content and material on their own with a little bit of assistance from me. So once they approved me, I basically transitioned from being a full-time employee to a part-time employee, but it kind of worked like a contract position. So it almost felt like they were one of my big clients, right? And then that's kind of like the day where I went full-time into my business. It was July 1st, 2019. <laughs> and I was like really, really ecstatic. I was super happy to kind of like just be on my own and finally doing this thing by myself. So that was basically the transition from me being full-time in my job to actually going full-time in the business. And a lot of the times I get questions like, oh, okay, was that it? Did that cover everything? It did cover everything until like COVID happened. <laughs> so when COVID happened, one thing that I struggled with in my business was that I had an influx of inquiries because now all these businesses were starting like new ventures and they need branding and websites. And I could not manage the amount of load that was there. And so it kind of threw all of my income off and we had to 
burn through the savings. And then we had to burn through all of that other money that I had. So I did go through a period where it was a little bit of a struggle. But then once I figured out my process within my business and got it to flow correctly, then I started making all that money again. And then I didn't have to worry about like savings and things of that nature. So that would be my advice to kind of like transition in a smooth way that is kind of like low stakes, if that if you want to say that. But if you're the type of person who is like, hey, I could just leave tomorrow and I'll be good. That's cool. But I like the fact that I made like a slow transition out of my job so that I had money on the side. Like I had something kind of like a backup plan just in case something went wrong. And it just felt really good. I love that. It was very thoughtful and intentional, the process. And I took very much of the same process. I'm not one to like jump out of the plane without a plan. And so I'm glad to hear that that's your advice too. I think it's not an easy decision. And there's a lot of things that have to be thought about before making that leap. So I have a question. When you finally left your corporate job, like how long did you do the part-time thing? I did the part-time thing between that summer up until like literally January, 2020. So probably like a four months or so or something like that. I basically had my baby in the time <laughs> in the time that I left that job. And it was good. It was not too long. And the way that I left was more like what happened was I had too many client projects and I couldn't like fulfill their requests. So that's basically how the transition happened. They just asked me, hey, do you have any more availability? And I was like, unfortunately, I don't. And so they were like, that's cool. We can make the transition over. And, uh, and that was pretty much it. Now, you mentioned that you had to refine your processes to make your business sustainable and scalable, which I think is a very real journey that all entrepreneurs go through. So what did that look like for you when you were going through those growing pains of not being able to meet the capacity of the work that you were being offered? Yeah, I think one of the things, if you're anything like me and you're a super ambitious thinker, (laughs) that's not going to work for you in this process. I always think I could do more than I can within the time span that I have. And uh, that worked against me. So I just had to be realistic about like the limited time that I had and what I could do within that particular time frame. And once I could understand like how much time I had, I had to start recording and documenting how long it was taking me to do a particular task or a particular process. And then once I started like recording all of that, I created a system. So I basically used the sauna at the time and basically recorded each one of my steps. And then I recorded all of the things that were happening as I was doing projects live. So if a client was like, hey, you forgot to send me said logo, I would just add that as a step to my process. And once I got a handle on exactly what my process looked like from start to finish, that's basically when I started to see an improvement in onboarding and then offboarding as well as like client delivery. So people kind of like don't even think probably about this at all when they're doing their process. They're just like, hey, I got a service. This is how much it's going to cost. And then the client's going to get their stuff at the end of the day and they'll be happy. But the client is happy because you delivered the actual product in a timely manner, like in a predictable manner. And you can only do that if you have each one of your steps laid out one by one so that you can actually be able to check off each point of your process and then have an idea of exactly how long it's going to take. So once I had an idea of how long it was going to take and how much I basically wanted to make, I actually had to go through and open my Google Calendar and block out those times. So I would have like the month of January, even though I didn't have work there, 
I knew that I was like, this week is available and I only have two spots open. And then like, I would work around like all of my vacations and things of that nature. And that also helped me to refine my prices a little bit. I'm always constantly experimenting with my prices, but overall just know that when I look at my process and I see that I can flow in a certain manner, or if I can deliver faster, or if I have to deliver slower, then I can adjust my prices according to like how I do those deliveries. So the process Planning out my process took a bit of time, I'm not going to lie, and I'm still always refining and tweaking it. So when I first did that initial step of like creating the process and tweaking everything so that I can manage the capacity, I want to say it probably took me about three weeks. I was working with a coach at the time who was looking at it and giving me suggestions about exactly what I could do to refine my process. Love that. Yeah. I think it's all part of the journey that no one tells you when you sign up for entrepreneurship, like how you are literally building the plane as you fly it. <laughs> so true. Everyone always thinks you got it together and just like, nah, we're just winging this y'all. <laughs> I fake it really well. We are winging it. And I think it's just important, you know, for context, like in a corporate job, the processes are there. The procedures are there. You're just learning stuff that already exists. But as an entrepreneur, you are building the shit from scratch. So that's why it's so much of a harder lift, but can be so much more rewarding professionally, financially, creatively. And I think that's kind of the trade-off, right? It's hard for a reason. Yeah. You know what I think is so funny is that most of us want to leave corporate America because of the fact that it feels so constraining with all of the processes and stuff like that. And then you start your own businesses and you're like, if I don't put a process in place, I'm not going to make the money that I need to <laughs> in the time that I need to do it. And so the difference, though, when you're working in a corporate job, somebody else has created the process for you and you have to adhere to it. When you're working for yourself or as an entrepreneur, you get to make your own process so it can be more delightful, okay? So like take a look at it from that angle that, yeah, I still do need processes, but guess what? It's your process. So you can do it the way that you want to and make it work on your level instead of having to conform yourself to somebody else's process. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk a little bit about how you market yourself, right? Because I think that's another thing that people find very overwhelming. How do you actually find your clients? Because I know you're not like doing TikToks and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I try. Sometimes I love social media. That's basically how I find a lot of pe the people I want to work with because they're on social media heavy. And I'm just like, I admire that. But that's just not the way that I do things. I like building relationships with people and then working through word of mouth. So whenever another designer comes to me and say, hey, how do I find my next client? I was like, have you asked anybody that you know? Like, because I'm pretty sure they know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who wants to work with you. And once you get a client, like never underestimate the fact that like if you did your job right, just ask them like, hey, do you have friends who may need a website or who may need help? Because they usually do have another friend who has a friend who also has a friend who can be your next client, because that's really the biggest way that I've done my marketing is through referrals. The second part is through, I don't know if I could call this referrals or kind of marketing, putting tags on all of the bottom of my websites is another way that I've received most of my clients. So people will go to one of my projects and say, oh my gosh, I love the way that this website was created. I wish I could have my website just like this. And they go to the bottom of the website page and be like, oh, this is the web designer. And that's how they find me. And they're like, oh, I found it from 
Yo Quiero Dinero or Side Hustle Pro. or That's how I found you. Yeah. Like a lot of people, that's basically the way they find me. So if you are kind of like a service-based business like I am or a graphic designer or a brand designer or anything of that nature, number one, actually put your name on your work. If your clients will allow you to do that, put your name on your work because that's a good way to find work. But then another way to find clients is also just by asking your clients and getting referrals from your clients. Those are my two major ways of marketing myself and being able to find clients. Now, I do kind of go through social media and once in a while I will get somebody who finds me through social media and then becomes a client. But that's very, very rare because I'm very rarely online, although I do try. (laughs) I do try. So do show your work, do put your work out there, and then people will be able to find you as well. Yeah, that word of mouth is such a key way to get business. Like I know I've referred many people to you and it's all based on, you know, the customer experience, the final product, and just knowing that you specialize specifically with women of color and especially with podcasts. It's like, we already know. We already know who needs to be designing this website. Like there's no reason to be looking at anywhere else. Let's also talk about a little bit about outsourcing because that's also another way that we as business owners can continue to expand our capacity. How have you outsourced as you've grown your business? Yeah, the first time I started outsourcing was like beginning of 2020 when the workload was crazy. So I experimented with that. And I want to say I want to like really stress experimented because I didn't know what I was doing and I was hiring because I was at a desperate place. The first time I hired somebody, it was like an agency that helped with development. And that agency basically charged me monthly in order to fulfill any of the tasks that I needed. So a good way to outsource like on a first kind of like basis would be kind of finding an agency or going on Upwork or things of that nature in order to find somebody who just have the general skills that you need in order to get a task done. Now, the problem with doing a lot of that stuff is just that you're not getting somebody who's going to come in and like kind of make decisions on their own. You really have to give them a lot of direction. There's literally no autonomy in, in that type of work at all. So you have to really understand exactly what it is that you are doing so that you can give it to that person and have complete confidence that they'll be able to do the task in a timely manner and on budget. So that was my first experience. And then I decided that I really wanted to work with more women of color, obviously, because like, you know, I design for women of color. I want to work with women of color. That's like kind of like my mission overall. So I had a sorority sister who referred my first intern, I should say, and she worked with me to create my onboarding system within Notion, loved her, loved, loved, loved her. And then I got more referrals from previous clients who also had um, kind of like young women of color who wanted to learn how to get into the UI slash graphic design space. And I had them help me with a few projects. And so that would be the second way that you can kind of outsource some of your work is if you know somebody who can, or you know, an intern, or if you had somebody slide into your DMs and say, Hey, I want to experience in this field, you can create like a position for them, whether it's paid or unpaid. You'll be surprised about there are people who don't really want to get paid. They just want the experience and they just want to talk to you. So you can find an intern 
to go ahead and work on projects for you. So that's a second way that you can outsource. And then, yeah, those were the two major ways, actually, because my third experience with outsourcing was through another designer who also has her own freelance business. And we collaborate on projects from time to time when she has free time so that she can help me with some of like the development. And then I can just focus on the design and stuff like that. But overall, my experience with outsourcing is number one, you definitely need to know what it is that you need help with. And like I mentioned before, is if you have a very streamlined process, if it's all outlined and laid out there for you, you can be able to kind of like hand it over to them and be like, hey, this is how I do things. Make sure you check all of these things. And then communication was like a huge point for me to be able to find a really good person. Like I realized that if you just hand something to somebody and then don't check in with them. They're not going to get it done as fast as you want it. So that was a huge lesson for me. I think I spent way too much money not checking in on people and then like having to pay them weekly. And then they still didn't get the thing that I needed done. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like wasting money here. So communicate with your person as much as you can have documentation and then like find them through a trusted resource. Love the advice. And I think it's, uh, you know, part of stepping into that CEO boss role. It just, it's a learning curve, just like everything else. Yeah. Now let me ask you, do like when you outsource, do you like doing that particular role? Because I found that I, I don't prefer to be a manager. I don't like telling people what to do. So like, do you enjoy that? that no. experience? Okay. Absolutely not. I love people who are just independently driven, who are able to do things on their own and who just need minimal supervision. Like, because that's how I like to be treated. That's how I enjoyed being treated in corporate. And I'm just like, I will never be a micromanager. That's just not my vibe. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what I love. I love working with people who are just like, yeah, I've got the reins and I can take care of it from here. You don't need to watch over me and stuff like that. So I always feel very self-conscious, I guess when I have to hire somebody and then I have to be on top of you, I just feel like I never liked this when I was working my job. So why would I do that to somebody else? I love it when people can work on their own. They're independent. They know what to do. All of that stuff. Absolutely. All right, Shirley, this conversation I think is going to inspire so many people to start to explore their side hustle passions and to really potentially build something that's going to give them that financial freedom and time freedom that so many of us are seeking when we learn about entrepreneurship. So what's your best tip for folks who are just like, where do I start as far as discovering like what might be my thing? Well, the first way I started was through listening to books and podcasts. Obviously, Yo Quiero Dinero, Shameless Plug, there are so many financial podcasts that really help you. And I say financial specifically because it's basically the reason why we want to go into business in the first place, right? It's because we want personal financial freedom. And so just listening to those tips and tricks about how to manage your money can help you kind of just figure out what's the next step that I need to do entrepreneurially. And then obviously a lot of the audiobooks that sometimes I listen to and reread, they're going to basically inspire you to focus on the one thing that you need to do in order to get to whatever figure that you're trying to get to, right? I always listen to The Greatest Salesman in the World, mostly because it's a motivational piece and it really helps to inspire me when I'm feeling discouraged. There's The E-Myth. That's a really good read. And I think Built to Sell is also a really good read as well. So that just helps you 
have a starting point about like what direction you can take. Oh, let me not forget this profit first. That is like literally the way to manage your money when it comes to being an entrepreneur. Like start with that one and then go to the other ones. <laughs> I love it. I love the personal finance meets entrepreneurship. I think it, there's so many overlapping areas where in order for you to just understand money as a business owner, it's different than how you would manage it when you have a steady paycheck. And so there's a lot to learn. And I think one thing that has always served me well, and I'm curious if you feel the same, is just this like love of learning, this desire to just stay curious and accept what you don't know and not allow that to defeat you, but allow it to encourage you to continue to explore. Yeah. Like literally I'm reading a book every single month. What was I going to say? Because when you said that, I was just like, oh, of course, like I'm making mistakes left and right. And then I'm just learning from them. <laughs> but like I said, I have a background in engineering. You have a background in engineering. And I think that just comes intuitively with our minds is just that like everything is an experiment. And even if you're doing really good at something right now, the next experiment is going to be like, how do I make this better? Right. And then you mess up that and you're like, oh, I just discovered something messy over here. Let me not do that. Okay. So like, yeah, constantly having that experiment type of mind and just like testing things and testing things and testing things until it works. That's the type of mindset that I have. And I, that's basically how I treat this entrepreneurial game is just test something. If it doesn't work, then throw it out, test something new. It's not perfect. The only people who win are the people who just keep moving. Absolutely. I love that message. And for folks that want to find out more about you, find out how you work with your clients to create amazing stunning websites that I get compliments on all the time and I send people over to you. Tell us where we can find you. You can find me at ShirleyT.co. Um, that's my website. And basically all of my latest projects will be there because I post all of them. I am occasionally on Instagram, so don't sleep. I might come in there. <laughs> you can send me a message through Instagram because I usually do answer them anyways. And those are the two ways you can find me. I love it. Uh, Shirley, I want to say congratulations to you on your inspiring journey. It is so amazing to see badass women of color entrepreneurs who are owning their worth, who are unapologetic about their talents and who charge accordingly. It is so inspirational. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you, Janice. <laughs> Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start. That's yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, 
stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.